Find Cody Willard on Scudify and on MarketWatch. Find Cody Underground, the podcast, on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Whoa, no, boo, ho, we get a clue, yo, do I blew your mind from you, you to Soho, Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Soho. We're back, traders. I'm Brianna Valeski here with Joel L. Conan. We've got Cody Willard on the line. He's a former hedge fund manager and the co-CEO of Scudify. Cody's a former Fox business anchor, ex-hedge fund manager, and editor of TradingWithCody.com. He launched his tech-centric long-short equity hedge fund on October 1st, 2002, just 11 days before the NASDAQ finished its two-year-long 75% decline. He owned Apple in his hedge fund from $7 in March of 2003 to $160, and Google from $95 the day it went public to $550 in October of 2007 when he closed his hedge fund, sold all his stocks, and became a TV anchor. Cody, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. You, you are so welcome. Thanks for joining us. So to, to start off real quick, tell us what Scudify is. All right. Scudify is a company that I'm the chairman of, large shareholder, and it's privately held. It's small startup social network for finance guys. It's not just social networking, though. We collate and gather all of the tweets and uh, data and anything you want to know about any stock you come to, or currency or whatever it is you're trading, you come to Scudify, there's community active there that can answer questions, help you parse through the markets and the you know, the questions you might have. And, um, yeah, I guess that's about it for Scudify. We're, we call ourselves the iTunes of finance yeah, because like you can that. get lots of different subscriptions and reports and whatnot all in one spot. All right, well, I'm going to drop a link in the chat room for our listeners to go check out Scudify. Now, we want to pick your brain about a lot of this tech news that's going on right now. We got this report that there's going to be this integration between Google and Twitter, and now you can find tweets in Google searches. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, this is they had a partnership that was very much similar, basically the same thing, Several years ago, their um, technology executives at the time decided they didn't want to renew it, and so uh, there's been several years that hasn't had a deal. It's great. It's good for both companies. As a Google user, as a Twitter user, I want easier access to searching that uh, incredible amount of data and um, news space that goes through that Twitter network every day, and this gives you the ability to do so. We also got some other news out of Twitter last night. Dick Costello, Twitter CEO, saying that trolls are a problem on, on the social networking service and that it's it's turning away a lot of their core users. I, do you think trolls represent a challenge for Twitter? Trolls represent a challenge for the Internet. So <laughs> no matter what you're doing on the Internet, trolls are a challenge. On social networking, it's definitely... Uh, one of the biggest problems you've got, uh, whether it's Spotify, Twitter, or Facebook, people trolling and being mean and just attacking other people on the network is part of the reality. It happens. It's frustrating. On Spotify, for example, we created several different ways for the community itself to self-police so that if there are users on there that are attacking or hyping or doing stuff that the community doesn't like, they will quickly get a bunch of thumbs down, and when you get a bunch of thumbs down, you actually don't show up on all on anybody's feeds for 24 hours. And things like that are are um, probably the future. You've got to figure out how to filter out and 
and start allowing the community itself to police that trolling. And there, there are solutions to it, and people are going to figure it out over the next five or ten years, including people at Twitter, I would assume. I'll just mention I do own, by the way, both Google and Twitter since we're talking about them. Thanks for the disclosure. Uh, still going on Twitter now. We're we're going to see their earnings report this afternoon. Uh, what are your expectations ah! for that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what are you looking for in that report? Yeah, the, the, everybody's going to be focused strongly on trying to figure out the metric of user growth, um, the amount of time people are spending on Twitter. Those are what the streets are, those kinds of figures and metrics are really what the streets are going to be looking on. Um, you'll also want to see, you know, some top, some user growth itself, but it's really about um, keeping the people active on the network longer, getting them more engaged, the people that are already on there staying longer, using more, uh, seeing more tweets, posting more tweets, and that's what the, the Wall Street wants to see. Frankly, I think there's so much upside to the growth itself and the monetization model is going to follow. That's been the vision with these guys from the beginning, and I think it still is. So let's take a look at some of these other tech companies. We're also going to be getting a report out of GoPro this afternoon. I mean, what are your thoughts on GoPro, and, and what are you expecting from the earnings play? I think I just wrote a book recently, and you can get it for free on Scudify. It's called 25 Stocks for the Wearables Revolution. And I mentioned GoPro in there. I'm not bullish on GoPro per se, though. Um, I think from the beginning, I've been concerned when they came out that Chinese competition would eventually erode the margins in the GoPro business. And I, I, I own Amberella, which AMBA is the stock symbol, and they're the chipset supplier for the HD video recording that happens on a GoPro camera. I like it much better. I think they've got protection. They've got proprietary technology. I think GoPro's ecosystem is lacking. I don't like it. I've had several GoPros, and I end up stopped using them because they're just not used, easy enough to use, like, say, an iPhone. Okay. And so one other that we're going to get from today is LinkedIn. I know it's it's not really a very heavily traded stock, but I, we do have a lot of people that are going to be looking forward to that report this afternoon. Well, and it's worth tens of billions of dollars. I mean, like Twitter. I mean, these companies are not small in valuation, if nothing else. Um, LinkedIn is much further along in monetizing their users um, than Twitter. They both have several, you know, 300 million plus people on their network, growing all the time. Um, LinkedIn I used to own. It's got great margins and it's a good growth business, but I own Facebook and Twitter, and that's probably enough social networking exposure for me anyway, so I've moved on from LinkedIn. I would expect more growth, strong numbers, and again, you'll want to focus on user engagement and Although the focus on that for LinkedIn is not nearly to the serious level that people will be looking at it on Twitter. Cody, I, I want to go into a little bit of your past history here. And, uh, boy, you had a run there. And 11 days before the NASDAQ finished its two-year-long, you know, uh, that big run that it had and began to decline, you got out. I mean, what was it? Did you just say, hey, I have met my goals of monetary? Well, what, what was it? What was that sell signal? And, and what do you, are you seeing well, anything like that in the market uh, now? Several, 
No, no easy answer is anything like, you know, anytime you make a life decision like that, there's never like a shining moment of clarity where you go, all right, now I know the right decision. I'm going to close my hedge fund and move on to TV. But I launched that hedge fund, a technology hedge fund in 2002, like you said, and market was down, NASDAQ was down 75% plus, and it then it was up 200% over the next five years while I was running my hedge fund. I had a great run over those five years, too. Um, I used to write a, a series of articles around that time in 2007 called This Won't End Well, and I would just get charts and quotes of people that you could tell it was getting bubblicious and way too, everybody was way too confident. All of the executives, the banks, everybody was just blowing things up in the or blowing smoke around everybody and it just you know finally i will say i i saw that real estate price collapse coming and i was very worried about it and that was really the main thing that got me out of my hedge fund and took me to tv i used to tell my viewers on the tv show that i had traded my hedge fund in stocks for a media career at least for a while and I did that for three years, and I've gotten back out of TV. I didn't enjoy TV, and I do enjoy market, the markets and trading and whatnot. So I don't do TV anymore. I am back in the markets, and I've been writing this bull market since 2010 when I left TV. And um, at some point, I'll probably turn bearish again, but I'm not there yet. No, so it was it. It was just kind of an overall feeling of what was going on, market sentiment, real estate, uh, different things that led you to that great decision. Well, and and and, the, and the, to truly bring that full picture there, I also had this offer. You know, I I've been on doing TV on CNBC and Fox and NBC and a few things, and Fox Business came along with an offer to of anchoring my own show at five o'clock time slot, prime time, and the Waldorf Astoria and, and the bull and bear bar down there. And it was just the coolest, neatest idea and opportunity I could have dreamt of in television. And so I had no, I, I had no choice but to close the hedge fund and do that when that opportunity arose. Okay. We've talked a lot about, you know, the tech stocks that you're following or any other things on your radar here, some companies here that may have been overlooked here in this bull market and not the big headline stocks and anything that you're looking at and watching during your earnings season? Well, I've, um, I've owned at Sony for a little while, um, and it reported a blowout number, and the currency uh, depreciation of the yen has helped them as has just sort of an overall turn and stabilization in their business. That one has been overlooked, obviously. It's worth less than, than Netflix, and I wouldn't say it should be worth more than Netflix, but I do think there's upside to Sony over the next two to three, five years. I'm avoiding all financials. I don't like the financials. I think with the collapse of energy prices, I think with the currency volatility and these major 10, 15, 20% moves we're seeing, sometimes intraday in currency markets, those things increase risks for the financials. And as we saw in 2008, those guys, those banks are all interrelated. And when one of them has been betting huge and losing and this currency thing looks like a classic setup to me, where there's going to be some banks that got billions of dollars of losses trading currencies that are going to end up coming through that, that system at some point. 
and I don't like the banks at all. I would avoid them. I'm even short the XLF. I or not short, but I own puts in the XLF, which is an ETF for the banks. And I would also just say avoid energy. We don't have to try. No, there's no reason why we have to try to find a bottom in a cyclical industry like energy. Go out and find revolutionary companies like Google, Apple, and Facebook, and stick with those. Uh, question out of the chat. Are you actively uh, long-term trading? or I mean, do you do any short-term trading intraday, or are you strictly on the investment side? I'd say I'm probably 80 90% long-term investment, but I'm an opportunist. I'll take a short-term trade. I'll buy call <laughs> options before an earnings report, even when the, if I think the risk-reward is favorable. But, yeah, for the vast majority, I, I think the risk-reward is much more favorable for buying great revolution investing tech stocks and holding them for the, as the revolutions play out. How about the software sector? What a whooping they put on uh, Microsoft there. And, uh, boy, this thing is uh, <laughs> tempted to recover a little bit. Uh, um, any opportunities in the software sector? There might be. I, I like Oracle as a software play much more than – I don't even know if I consider – Microsoft does software yeah, play anymore I so. because, I mean, you go, the, the big story on Microsoft and why I've not owned it as I've owned Apple and Google for the last 10 years, because Microsoft is it over the last 10 years, their gross margins have gone from about 90% down to the 60% level. So you've got to grow a lot more top line to keep the earnings levels going up. And that's certainly Microsoft has grown the top line tremendously over those years, but that declining margins, much like I fear is in GoPro's futures, that comes that puts a lid on the stock, if nothing else. Um, Oracle itself owns, you know, sells servers because um, they bought Sun several years ago and whatnot, but I think Oracle is still a software-based company, and I still think they're probably, frankly, better run than Microsoft. Uh you really know your fundamentals, Cody. How did how did you learn those? Did you did you go to school and learn them? It's just uh, your own reading. Uh, you know, you just seem to know them inside and out. Uh, what what's your key? Well, I, I I read everything. I will say I, I I spend you know ten hours a day. I'm on Spotify, reading, learning, talking, communicating with people. But going back, yeah, I, I have a degree in economics from the University of New Mexico, which I think is almost worthless. I mean, it's economics. I think a lot of times ends up being more religion and um, people being dogmatic in their beliefs about economics rather than just looking at the data and trying to get some information out of that and some analysis. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, you ever read the book uh, uh, it's by Adam Smith? It's not the actual Adam Smith, Super Money, Super Money, I think is what it's called. And in it, he starts off by talking about a guy who should be a hedge fund manager is the kind of guy who can look at some balance sheets and fundamental numbers in on four or five different companies, and when he walks away, he remembers them. I've always sort of been like that. It comes natural to me to look at companies in a fundamental way and try to figure out where they're headed. What's the What's the name of that book? You know what? I'm going to have to go outside and see if I got it sitting on my shelf. It's Adam. Um, I just sixties. It's by Adam Smith, but that's a you know, that's pretty pretty common name. name. Uh, real quickly, we're on the line here with Cody Willard. He's a former hedge fund manager and co-CE of Scudify. 
Cody, uh, just once again, I think it's a pretty important question. I asked it before. Uh, Nifty Trader just wanted a reiteration of it. Um, you know, when you hung it up before, you know, deciding to get out of the market, um, you mentioned the real estate. I mean, was it the average P.E. ratio of the S&P 500 or was it just more the, you know, being worried about the real estate market? Well, yeah, it wasn't valuations per se, and I currently I think the market's pretty highly valued, and that's not making me sell my positions today. It's there, there, there needs to be a, a, a catalyst to the downside, not just overvaluation in the markets. I think that's what most bubble-calling people miss. I've been saying that we're headed into one of the greatest stock market and asset bubbles in the history of the planet, in the history of any economy, we're doing, and I've been saying that since about 2009, 2010, and that's partly because the bailouts, zero percent interest rates, quantitative easing, and the Republican-Democrat regime's policies towards that focus on expanding corporate profitability, just at, and keeping stock market prices high, keeping real estate prices high. They're putting a lot of time, energy, and money from our taxpayers into that. I think that does blow up bubbles, and eventually there will be. In my lifetime, in the last 20 years, there's been several crashes, several asset bubbles, several financial crises. There will be more of those ahead. But the question is when they come, and I just don't see one right now on the horizon. But that doesn't mean there isn't a black swan out there that I don't see. Yeah, uh, great answer. Real quickly, before we let you go, I, I mean, I hear you talk about the fundamentals, but I I uh, hear you mention the technicals a little bit, too. Can you give one or two of, uh, you know, your technical analysis techniques or tricks that uh, you like to follow? Yes. Don't ever look at charts and draw lines on them and think <laughs> that capitalism in the universe is going to reward you for being somehow having an, an, a long-term sustainable advantage by trading, drawing lines on a historical price pattern and trying to to look into the future. I never, ever do technical analysis in that manner, and I never will. I just, like I said, the universe isn't going to reward people for drawing lines. It's too easy. you got to work harder for that. Great answer. Dennis always talks about when uh, we were at uh, our trading firm, Bright, Tra Bright Trading, these guys would have these charts up, and there'd be so many things on there, and we would look at it and say, well, where's the price? And, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great antidote on that. Well, Cody, it's been great having you on. Cody Willard, former hedge fund manager and co-CEO of Scottify, uh, giving his, his uh, honest outlook on the markets. We appreciate it, Cody, and uh, we're going to make sure Brianna gets you back on again soon. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. And everybody, please go check out Scudify and TradingWithCody.com where I post on TradingWithCody.com. You can get all my trades, all of my positions, totally open and transparent as I'm doing stuff. And I'll teach you a lot, if nothing else. Okay. Thanks.